This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I review the flagship brewing company presents Ralph's Famous Italian Ices and Ice Cream Hard Seltzer Variety Pack, give listeners of the show a look into the history and landscape of the shackles, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Back in the saddle again. That's right. Let's what, check what in. the zones of truth where we get to do it before we record two more episodes. Yeah, let's talk about this schedule. I know sometimes we bitch about the scheduling of, of this, but this one is kind of egregious. So we recorded Skull and Shackles Thursday after everybody worked all day. Everybody worked all day Friday. We did two episodes of speak with plants last night, meaning that I didn't get home till like one in the morning. We're back here the morning of Saturday to record this immediately afterwards. We're going to record two bestow curses. And after that, it's drunk and disorderly with our patrons. Pirate drunk and disorderly. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a costume for tonight? I just have my hat. Yeah. And I was going to kind of wear this. You know, Ooh, it's a little button. like quarter zip kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, it's not a headly, quarter button. Headly. Yeah, you can yeah. show a little chest there. I've got one of those. You've definitely seen it before. It's the tank top that I have. That's like alternate stripes all the way down. So it looks like oh, kind yeah, of like yeah, a nautical yeah. theme. Looks like Mr. Smee. Yes, at 100% it does. And then uh, don't tell everybody else, Griff, but two nights ago, went on Amazon and bought an eye patch. Oh, boy. <laughs> You've been hankered for the eye patch. I have been hankered for the eye patch. You've been, you've been just offhanded comments on air. Eye patches are really sexy too. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get that out there, just you know. To, just trying to put it out to the world. And hey, eye patch came in last night, gave it a whirl. Really fucking annoying to wear. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. You know, there are four people that are missing an eye or don't have vision in the eye. Yes. When you do have vision in the eye, they're a bit annoying i'll say too and this probably will come off a little bit as a humble brag but whatever i have really naturally long eyelashes people call them very beautiful they're right oh and you keep touching 100 percent, yeah so the, it's constantly uh, just like scraping the inside of the ipad there was a guy that went to my high school he mm -hmm. was i believe like two classes ahead of me and he lost his eye in some kind of like sports accident oh geez so it was like a recent thing i mean recent ish thing and instead of going glass eye and everything he went eye patch that's the way to do it he went eye patch and he was a pretty handsome dude before the eye patch he was very handsome after the eye patch but he did oh, he did tell yeah. us he would go to a salon and get his eyelashes done so that that wasn't annoying interesting huh yeah that's fascinating because i think he found the same thing that it's just like with a certain design mm -hmm. granted the shitty ones you get on like Amazon yeah. are not built the same like he actually had like this leather one that was like really custom and well done mm -hmm. and probably stuck out a little bit further but still he said that would irritate him more than anything mm -hmm. yeah I mean we'll see how long it lasts tonight that I wear it <laughs> probably no longer than 15 minutes I would assume <laughs> before it goes up on the forehead <laughs> yep all right, man. Well, I guess let's just get into it. We've got a few different things that we're covering today. We want to keep this episode a little tight because we got a lot going on. So what have you been up to lately, man? Anything to note? Yeah, I have been playing a game that just came out, uh, came out Friday. So I got it like midnight on mm -hmm. Thursday. Dragon Quest Monsters, the Dark Prince. It's like the newest in that line of games. And What's notable about that line of games is like it's been around forever. Like some oh, of my okay. favorite games when I was a kid were the original Dragon Warrior Monster game and Dragon Warrior Monster 2. It had like versions like Pokemon, so I had the Kobe version. It's like a Square Enix game. Mm -hmm. And the thing about those games in particular is that not all of the installations of the series get released in the West. Oh. So most of the series is. Japanese exclusive or like the best version of the game is Japan exclusive. So this one finally got a Western release and it's been a couple years since one did. There's a lot of games in the series. They, they went from like Game Boy to like the the Nintendo DS, et cetera, et cetera. And this one's the, I, the first one I know of on the Switch. Mm -hmm. 
and it is just nostalgia incarnate. It has all the same like sounds when you like level up and when a combat ends and all this stuff from like the original games when I was eight. Hell yeah. So it's been a lot of fun to play. I've just been, you know, I <laughs> I haven't put a ton of time into it because we've been so busy. I've just been playing like basically in like the hours between <laughs> recording, but it's a lot of fun and I'm enjoying it a lot. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. That sounds awesome. As for me, I finished all of the mainline shit and expanded universe of Attack on Titan manga a little while ago, and I've been looking for something to take its place because I'm really in a manga lately. And so I've been hearing good things about the Chainsaw Man manga. Started that up. Now, I've seen the first season of Chainsaw Man. I think there are 12 or 13 volumes of the manga out right now, and I started reading it. And I'm in volume, I think, seven now. It seemed that the first season of the anime was like four and a half of the volumes. So I'm into new stuff now. Mm -hmm. And listeners, first of all, you gotta watch Chainsaw Man. I've been telling Griffin Haley for a long time to watch Chainsaw Man. But I can't wait for season two of Chainsaw Man because the shit that happens is just so much fun. It's hyper violent, it's a little funny, and I think it's really endearing. There are some really compelling characters in the manga that even though it almost has like a the boys level of violence and like irreverence to just shit in general, there are moments that really kind of get me down. And I really enjoy that about it, that it can do that emotional, I guess, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's just a really, really well crafted piece of manga. So I would I would suggest to check that out. I just finished the Dead Space remake video game. Absolutely had the time of my life. I thought it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal port of the old one. And so I'm trying something new now. You know, there's a, a big blind spot in my video game lexicon i don't mean it might be the right word who knows but as a horror fan i've never really gotten into the resident evil games oh yeah you got to do that yeah so when i was back home in chicago a week ago i was talking to my buddy who's a big resident evil fan and he started explaining the lore and i was like this is ridiculous i gotta check this shit out because it's wild and so i'm going about it a weird way i got a bundle of seven and eight for like 30 bucks and I'm about halfway through seven right now and really, really enjoying it. And then since Which one's seven, seven is the like Louisiana one. It's the oh, first one yeah, that's first yeah. person. It truly is just like playing through a horror movie. It's fucking nuts. But then I'm going to go back and then do the, the remakes of two, three and four where they remade them in 4K or whatever. And they're gorgeous. So I know that's kind of backwards. But from what I understand, seven and eight are slightly their own thing. So I can kind of do that really enjoying it so far and I will definitely be updating everybody because I'm liking it and by the way scary as hell playing on easy yeah I'm kind of excited I know we've been so busy but our buddy John recommended that you meet Chris and him get together and play Lethal Company and that sounds yeah. like I. he showed us some clips of people playing it it looks super fun and super funny the graphics aren't great but it's like a I guess it's like a SCP containment breach kind of game. Mm -hmm. But I think the most fun part, at least in the clips, is like that proximity based audio. Like yep. when everybody's in the team chat, you hear people like off in the distance <laughs> and they sound far away. So I think that's going to be kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all planning on buying that and doing some team up soon. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Uh, but speaking about a good time, we got to drink some seltzers at 12 in the morning or whatever it is now. Oh yeah. Well, 12.37 in the afternoon. This fucking mouthful. Flagship Brewing Company presents Ralph's Famous Italian Ices and Ice Cream Hard Seltzer Variety Pack. This came from our trip out to Philly a couple months ago. It's been sitting in my garage ever since. Gotta say, first red flag, empty can in the pack. First time it's happened. <laughs> first time it's happened. Open it up. Like literally looks like a screw puncture or something. Yeah, there's a puncture at the bottom of one of the cans that's maybe the size of like the head of a pin. It's pretty small, but at some point before I bought this, an entire can was penetrated and emptied. So now we got 11 in an empty can. And all right, well, I'm going to just go into some of the copy. We'll run through it like normal and uh, start tasting these things. 
So there's basically no copy online, but I did find a blog post on the Ralph's website in an article titled April 2020 Ralph's Hard Ice Seltzer Debuts. I'm going to read the entire blog post, the only thing on their website about it. Flagship Brewing and Ralph's Ices team up to create Ralph's Ices Hard Seltzer in a 12-pack sampler with lemon, watermelon, and orange creamsicle flavors. That is the entirety of the copy on the <laughs> Ralph's website. It's all the buzz. Yep. So then I go over to the Flagship Brewing website, and they have those same flavors, lemon, watermelon, and orange creamsicle advertised. They all have the same text when you click on them. A locally brewed hard seltzer made in collaboration with the legendary Rails famous Italian ices, packed with flavor and made with your refreshment in mind. It's a variety pack with four flavors, and neither Rails nor Flagship Brewing is advertising probably the most interesting flavor, Rainbow Ice. Mm. So I don't know what they're trying to hide from Must us. Must have been a late ad. Could be. But these are 4.5% ABV, 110 calories. They are gluten-free. So if they're good... Yeah, that well, bodes poorly for us. Yeah. <laughs> good for Haley if they're tasty. We have uh, four flavors there that I mentioned. Watermelon, lemon ice, rainbow ice, and orange and cream. How are we going to rate these seltzers? Well... Ralph's Ices and Flagship Brewing are very proud of their Staten Island heritage, so we're going to be rating these on the New York Borough's land scale. <laughs> Manhattan <Come on. laughs> at 23 square miles. The Bronx at 42 square miles. Staten Island at 58 square miles. Brooklyn at 69 square miles. And Queens at 109 square miles. That's one to five, respectively. I don't know much about Staten Island, so we just did the five boroughs. Let's go ahead and get into these. There's no specific copy for the four flavors, so we're just going to bang through these kind of quick. First one up is watermelon. You can probably hear in my voice, I am coming off of a cold as of a few days ago and can probably hear in Griffin's voice, he's getting a little sick as well. Could be the same thing, maybe not. Definitely not COVID. We tested both of us, but out of an abundance of caution, I'm pouring into uh, glasses. Okay. Keep it uh, fresh here. All right. Ready? Yep. Smells bad. Which flavor is this? Watermelon? Unfortunate you needed to ask. <laughs> yes, that is watermelon. <laughs> Boy. It's uh, it's pretty light on watermelon flavor. It tastes like when you suck all the flavoring out of an Italian ice. Yeah. You know, like you get that like ice at the top that's like that yeah. doesn't have the syrup in it anymore. Yeah, you've got yeah, and it's starting to get like clearer white. Yep. And at the bottom, it gets really concentrated. <laughs> it's, it's got the faint. Yeah, we're, we're in talking it. top third of the Italian ice only. And then, of course, as is tradition with these like brewery made it uh, seltzers, it's got that like weird seltzer flavor. Yeah, I don't think there's much redeemable about this. I, I mean, like. To put it in perspective, like it's not utterly offensive. No, you know? no, like, it's, I'm it's, probably going to give it a Bronx. I'm right there with you. I don't think this fulfills the promise of the premise enough to give it a three out of five, but it's not revolting. So that's a Bronx for me as well. Two out of five. Next down the line is the lemon ice. It's unfortunate you picked a non-clear cup to put these in. I'm a little curious <laughs> with the coloration on this is. Yeah, these are leftover cups from the bachelor party that say Team Groom, and there's a big old mustache on it. Flavor's more prominent on this one, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't hate it. It tastes maybe closest to, like, a lemonade. Right. It's not as tart or sour as some of the lemons that we've had before. Yeah, I think that part of it's muted, but it certainly tastes more lemon than the watermelon tastes like watermelon. Absolutely. Man, this is a little tougher. I'm tempted to throw it in three, but I think I got to give this a two again. Like, I'm not reaching for this a second time. Like, I, I just don't think this is particularly good. Yeah. This is tough. Yeah. I'm going Bronx. Yeah, I'll probably go Bronx, too. It's just okay. Mm-hmm. I think, in general, they're sort of... I mean, sure, it still is the top third or so of the Italian ice, but they're sort of getting that like Italian ice flavor in there. It doesn't taste like a regular seltzer. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something in there that's yeah. ooh. So this is smell the, this one. Yeah, I just poured this one. This is the rainbow ice and the theming on the can is a red, white, and blue like a bomb pop. Oh, that's interesting. Alright, I mean <laughs> maybe it tastes like the stick on a bomb pop. 
the stick on a bomb pop with like a hint of cotton candy. Mm-hmm. This is the can that burst in in the yeah. pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we only have one of these left after we get through this can. Boy, I yes, <laughs> stick on the bomb pops a really good way to put it. Again, like the first two, it's not offensive, but it's not good. I yeah. mean, like that's the definition of a two out of five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any more thoughts? Like, there's not much to write home here. No, I mean, this is... <laughs> I, I guess I can say, like, it's unique in that we don't really get many bomb pop seltzers. Yeah. You know? But if I'm going for a bomb pop, I'm going for the Astro Bomb Pop, not that. Oh, sure, yeah. You want something that tastes like a bomb pop, not like bomb pop runoff. Yeah. All right, I'm going to be pouring the fourth one here. This is orange and cream. These all taste like the LaCroix version of what they're supposed to be. Ooh, that's a pretty astute observation there. Now, I'm a huge orange and cream fan. It's one of my top probably three or five flavors in the world. I love this combination. Let's give this a try. And I don't think we've seen it before in seltzers. We did. Um, Really? There's a whole orange and cream pack, remember? Orange cream pack. Vizzy did one. Vizzy did one. yeah. Yeah, those were pretty good. Hmm. That may sway my rating a little bit. I think similar to the first three, the flavor is a little muted. I think I'm getting a little more flavor than the first three, but not by much. Now you've got the stick in my head. I feel like I'm tasting the wood still. I think I'm going to kick this to a Staten Island out of five. That's a three out of five. I don't think this is great, but I think of the four of these, this is probably the most successful. I don't think they did it worse than like Vizzy did, actually. No. like And I don't think the Vizzy one's particularly good, to be honest, but... Mm -hmm. You know, this maybe has a little less flavor, but also a little less of the seltzer taste. The busy ones were tasty, but they had like a funky aftertaste. Yeah. There was something in there that you knew it wasn't like an orange Mm -hmm. cream pop. Yeah. I'm going to go Staten Island on this too, I think. It's definitely the stronger one. Look at us. We're pals all the way down the four of these. So we had both of us did watermelon at two. That's a Bronx. Lemon ice at Bronx, rainbow ice at Bronx, and orange and cream, three out of five at a Staten Island. So I think it comes down to our final verdict here. 2018 dystopian American horror prequel, The First Purge, famously takes place in Staten Island on a night in 2014 when the entire island is locked down and America begins its experiments with the annual purge, a night where for 12 hours all crime, including murder, is legal. Given Flagship Brewing was founded in 2014 and would be serving Staten Island's populace at the time of the first purge, how many of the 12 hours would you try to survive to score a pack of these hard seltzers? Griffin, go ahead. I mean, none. (laughs) That's a high bar for even one, though. In that scenario, I'm not trying to survive a purge for any seltzers. I guess this is kind you of a weird question. So high. He's at the bar. Maybe like the Arizona hard iced teas or the bang iced teas. Maybe I do like 15 or 20 minutes of a yeah, purge. Yeah. But... A bit of purge. I'd, I'd do a bit of purge. Yeah, I'd, I'd purge a little bit. Maybe do a little looting. I don't know. Maybe that's the only crime that I would commit during the purge. You steal the seltzers and leave. <laughs> yeah, get off the island. Get off the island. It's locked down, so I, I feel like you got to be in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... I guess that's the answer there. No hours of the purge. You know what? I'll, I'll put it this way. If I was stuck in the purge, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be spending any hours of it sitting in flagship brewing drinking these. <laughs> right. Maybe that's a, that's a better metric. How many of the 12 hours of the purge would you spend on Staten Island in flagship <laughs> brewing? I'd definitely be looting over having these. I maybe would just try an original Ralph's Famous Italian Ice. Because yeah, the, they, they were Ralph's, founded in like the 20s or something. Yeah, Ralph's uh, original, like years. their Italian ice is good. And they have the... Oh, you've had them? Yeah, they have, from like the, East Coast, yeah. they have like the freezer things too. Mm-hmm. The little freezer cups, kind of like the little cups of ice cream you got at the like at school. Yeah. They have like that version of their Italian ice. It's really good. Sure. All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and divide these up. I accidentally drank from the watermelon can, so I'll go ahead and, and just take that. I don't think you particularly wanted it anyway, though neither do I. Mm, you can have orange cream too. I know you like that one. Sweet. Sounds good to me. That gives you lemon and rainbow ice. At least by pouring these into cups, we did a little bit of damage up front. Yeah, we usually do very small sips, but we took some some okay volume out of them with the cups. All right. Let's move on to the meat of this episode here. 
this is a little bit of a gazetteer we're doing on the shackles. So let me talk about how we're going to walk through this today. I reached out to Griff earlier this week saying, hey, on Zone of Truth this weekend, I think it would be fun to give a little bit of an overview of the shackles for people that may not be familiar, even though we did have a little bit of that play into the intro of the campaign in episode one here. But just to give the region a little bit more context. And he said, great, but there's a lot of spoilers out there, so we need to be careful about how we tackle this. So what I'm going to be doing is I cracked open the 1E Inner Sea World Guide to do my research. I really didn't go anywhere else because I was scared about getting spoilers. So a lot of the information that I'm going to be delivering comes directly from there. And as I go through this, Griff is going to chime in with additional stuff, other things. Hey, this might be important later, that type of stuff, because he knows what's a spoiler and what's not and has done way more research on this region than I have. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Griff, at any time, just tag yourself in. Or if you want to hold your comments for the end, that works too. However you want to do it is fine. Sure. So right up at the top of the Shackles pages, we have a little bit of an overview here. So in alignment for the region is Chaotic Neutral. The capital is Port Peril. Port Peril has about 43,000 residents. We have some notable sediments that I will be talking about in more detail later, but they are Drenchport, Hell Harbor, Nermua, Olo, Quent, and Slipcove. The shackles are ruled by Captain Kurdak Bonefist, aka the Hurricane King. The government is a council of pirate lords known as the Free Captains. The languages, at least in 1E, were common in Polyglot, which I'm sure has changed with 2E because Polyglot doesn't exist anymore. I'm pretty sure it's just Mwangi. And the religions that are popular in this region are worship of Besmara, Kalistria, Kankalian, Gazra, Nagorber, and Farazma. So first big thing that I want to touch on is a history of the region. Then I'm going to walk through government, population, and notable locations. So history. The collection of islands known as the Shackles today was once the seat of the Golgon Empire. This was an ancient civilization of Cyclopses. If you go back, I have no idea what episode of the Zone of Truth this is, but we did a drunk Galarian history. I think we were raising money, maybe, or maybe that was something else. We were. That was the first charity live stream. First charity live stream. We were taking shots while we were. Oh, yeah. I think I had to take like one or two shots at the very beginning of when I started talking about the Golgon Empire and I was struggling. But if you want to go back and listen to me sloppily talk about what happened to the Golgon Empire, that episode will give you a whole lot more context. But the 411 of what happened or the very high level is that there was this ancient empire of Cyclopses in this region that is now the Shackles. They were expanding their empire across the continent of Gerund and underground into the Darklands where they came into conflict with the Serpent Folk and began adopting their ideologies. The Serpent Folk are very, very evil. And so that evil pervaded its way into this Cyclops society. Eventually their empire collapses and much of the landmass of the Golgon Empire sinks below the waves during Earthfall. And what remains now are the tips of mountains and stuff which have become the islands of the shackles. Fast forward a whole long time, and this is 600 years before the current campaign. Chelish explorers from the north found the ruins of the Golgon Empire and were so scared by what they saw that they just kept going south and eventually found a landmass down at the bottom of the continent, which they formed the colony nation of Sargava on. Now, if you rewind about a thousand years from there, the next people that were in the shackles were Ragsmauda and Grey Whirlis. And they discovered what caused the downfall of the Golgon Empire, dabbled with that magic, and obliterated Grey Whirlis. There's an island called Whirlis Rock now that is this just like salt island it looks like a nuclear explosion happened on the island and like nothing grows there it's completely just barren and that's supposed to be where she like died where the magic killed her and the magic almost killed rags mauda but she obviously tucked away and rejuvenated Mm -hmm. and became the rags mauda that's in our campaigns now 
Oh, cool. That's a fun little bit of context there. All right. So then I'm going to fast forward to the death of Aridin because I'm always talking about Aridin these days. And this is about 100 years before the current campaign. He dies. And at that time, nobody really knows why this happened. But in accordance with his death, the Eye of Abendago forms, which is just north of the Shackles. It's a giant hurricane that's perpetually spinning and not moving. It's just kind of contained in one location. Basically, though, it shields the shackles from the Chalish folks from the north and ships the shipping lanes further west, fostering piracy. Before long, these pirate raiders began to prey on lucrative trade routes between Sargava and Cheliax. Cheliax being to the north, Sargava to the south, shackles right in the middle, using all of these natural harbors in the islands to hide from Chalish warships. These pirate havens soon grew into small communities that eventually even accepted legitimate merchants and businesses. They are constantly in conflict, so the free captains banded together, electing a hurricane king to lead them. There have been two major invasions of the Shackles, one by Cheliax and one by Rahadum. In both cases, the invaders were met with disaster, losing most of their fleets to the free captains who whipped the shit out of them when they tried to stop all the piracy. The folks that live in the shackles are mostly runaway criminals, escaped slaves, and buyers seeking prescribed goods such as drugs, poisons, and other disreputable wares. If we're looking at how the islands are laid out, we have most of the important ports ruled by powerful free captains, which divvy up the loot from recent raids and dispense pirate justice as needed. All right, let's talk a little bit about the government of the shackles. We got a hierarchy here. It is ruled by the free captains, of course, but at the top of the pecking order is the Hurricane King, Perdak Bonefist. His seat of power is Port Peril, where our campaign starts, and he has the biggest fleet. I think he has a really powerful ship called the... Filthy Lucre. Yeah, Filthy Lucre. And one of the things that the Inner Sea World Guide said is it was one of the only ships that's fully outfitted with Elkinstar cannons. Mm-hmm. So it's like a big old galleon from back in the day. Under him are prominent captains who each command their own fleet and port. So some of the most powerful ones were outlined in the World Guide. We had Tessa Fairwind. She rules over Quent. We have this dude called the Master of Gales, who's in Drenchport. Avamar Soramash of Allo. That should be a very familiar name to listeners of the show. And Aronax Endymion of Hell Harbor. There are other free captains, however, but they don't necessarily have their own fleets or ports. They may just have one powerful ship, a small flotilla, or just like a little home base that doesn't really, you know, generate a lot of trade. Allied with the Shackles are not many. It's really just one. It is the former Chelish colony of Sargava, which I had referenced earlier. What I didn't reference is eventually Sargava rebels from Cheliax, I believe with the help of the free captains. In exchange for defending the colony from Cheliax, the free captains receive regular tribute of trade goods, including slaves from the Baron of Sargava. Elsewhere, the marauders of the Shackles are feared and hated, particularly by Cheliax and Rahadum for obvious reasons and the other people that hate the free captains Aspis consortium because they get raided all the time yep by the the free captains who want all of their wealth so yeah that's the government a couple more things that i want to run through here talking about the population so who might you expect to find in the shackles it's majority human half elf and half orc but notably there's a large tengu population They live in these community districts called rookeries in the big old ports. And a lot of Tengu have migrated to this corner of the world because there's a local superstition that having a Tengu on a ship soaks up bad luck. I believe we mentioned that at some point on the show, at least in like an opening banter. Mm -hmm. Then there are also these savage humans called Kuru. They're like kind of devolved type people who are cannibals and stuff. There are giant sharks, squids, lokathas, sahaguin, water nagas, basically any nautical creature you're going to yeah. find here. Yeah, all the aquatic races. You have the gripply like wit up in the sodden lands. You have a Ruxi from mm-hmm. the Wongi. You have obviously the serpent folk who have been influential in the area forever, but are like obviously still there. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, hiding in the jungle. 
<laughs> yep. So you have pretty much every aquatic ancestry in the shackles because it's really close to the Arcadian Ocean. So mm-hmm. you also get like abolith influence and as Arcetti as a result from of that that migrate their way over there. So it's interesting. I think I've mentioned this before, but this is a very small side tangent. Just to get more familiar with Aslantean stuff, I've been reading the Ruins of Aslant Adventure Path, and there's a big old article at the end of, I think, book one or two that dives into the Abolith and Ogothu history and culture and all that stuff. They're really cool and interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to see if they play into this campaign at all, because you did mention that they have at least some influence in, in the area. We'll see. I don't know. They're wild. But let's run through some notable locations before we get out of here and into listener questions. So these are all detailed out in the world guide. But first of all, are the Cannibal Isles. These are islands that are very far west in the shackles. And the way I wrote this down in my notes is that this is like Cannibal Holocaust or Green Inferno. There are islands full of Kuru who worship something called the Blood Queen. One of the only areas that's not ruled by a free captain in the Shackles. Yeah, the further west you get in the Shackles, the less explored it is mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Like Ragsmouth's Reach and stuff are over to the west as well. Sure. Yeah, don't want to go there. Very scary. The more dangerous islands are that way. <laughs> All right. Well, shifting our gaze north, we have the port of Drenchport. This is a port very near the Eye of Abendago. I mentioned this was ruled by the Master of Gales, who... Isn't that the coolest name for, like, a storm druid? 100%. The Master of Gales. The Master of Gales in Drenchport, and it's a city that's, like, constantly getting hammered by storms rolling off of the Eye of Abendago, and it's, like, mostly made of driftwood. Yeah. Which, come on, that sounds so cool. Yeah, like, the Master of Gales rolls over it because, like, he can somewhat protect the port. Mm Mm-hmm. So, interesting character. Absolutely. We also have Hell Harbor. This is an imp-infested port where the Chelish are entirely banned because it's ruled by an ex-Chelish Navy free captain, Aranax. I mentioned this guy earlier. Oh, Edmonian? Yeah. Ananax or Aranax, Edmonian or whatever. That's right. I guess he has a very prominent opera hall there that plays old chelish operas like from before like devil stuff infiltrated their culture and everything and yeah he doesn't allow any other chelish people in his town because he's afraid of getting assassinated or yeah he basically like has a has a warrant out from the chelish navy for defecting Mm -hmm. and his flag is like the chelish kodo it's it's almost like if you were to say like no girls allowed and you had like a, a picture of a girl and the like the, the slash circle and, and, and slash through it. It's like the chelish coat of arms with like a slash through it. Real creative. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> Hell Harbor is on the island called Devil's Arches. And that's where, if you remember in the Carrying Crown campaign, there were two arches on that island. And there are two arches on that island that are ancient Golgon ruins. Ooh. And then the third arch was on Ragsmouth's Reach. They all, at one point, connected directly to hell. Damn. That's very cool. So that's why, as the devolution of the Golgon happened, like, they started interbreeding with devils and stuff and making, like, half-fiends and all of that and getting more and more evil. Ooh. I want to explore there. That sounds cool. We also have Naruma. This is a port mainland city which exports from the Sodden Lands and the Moongi Expanse. We have Alo, which I read the description on, and then I just wrote my note. Shitty port, often raided by a Sahagwin. Yeah, this is where you guys visited Avamar, Sorenash, and they treat the like non-werewolves of this port like shit. Like they yeah. don't, they don't protect them at all. That's why they get attacked by Sahagwin and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like I was, I was reading the description. They're like, everyone's poor. It's raided all the time. It sucks to live here. Yeah, it's good to be a werewolf on the island. It's bad to be anyone else. <laughs> yep. The next port that was brought up was Port Peril. Listen to episode one, all right? That's all I'll say there. We have Quent, which is an open port 
one of the most interesting things that I read here was that there are these holy prostitutes of Calistria who work there, and there are some of the most prolific information brokers in the entirety of the shackles. Mm-hmm. People are showing up, get off, and whisper sweet nothings into the ears of the prostitutes, and there you go. Yeah, this one's the one that's ruled by uh, Tessa Fairwind, and of the free captains is maybe the most good-leaning, mm-hmm. so it's pretty fair. Like, the Motaku Isle in general is, like, pretty fair trade, pretty uh, well-maintained compared to some of the other areas. Sure, sure. Obviously, aside from Port Peril, but... Mm-hmm. We have Slip Cove. This boasts a large halfling population, and their claim to fame is they're mostly escaped slaves who raid Chelish slave ships and set them free. Although there was a little note in the description there that the main captain who runs these like free the halfling slaves thing is maybe not such a good guy and may, may not be doing this for altruistic ends. I don't know much more about yeah, that. That's, but. Uh, that's jealous. But Slip Cove is on Bag Island and Bag Island's interesting because it's pretty much an entire island of like displaced chelish halflings that <laughs> like got there from sunken chelish like <laughs> sunken chelish ships. Sure, were, sure. Because halflings are, at least in the one e lore, a majority slave population in Sheliacs. That's why, like, in Grady's vignette, like, his brother calls him a slip. Mm. That's like a slur for a halfling slave. Ooh, I don't like that. Which they've clearly, like, co-opted into Slip Cove. Sure, yeah. All right, just a couple more here. We have Raptor Island, which basically just seems like Lost World Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Yeah, this is where Reeve was from. Okay, I wrote this that is, in the notes <laughs> there. the island Reeve wanted to go back to to, like, stop it from becoming Jurassic Park. <laughs> so if you don't know who we're talking about, join the damn Patreon. Because Griff's character from when I was heading up season two of Link's Legacy, the no response from Deep Mar module, is from this area and wants to go there and changes into dinosaurs that rule this island so very cool character lots of fun to listen to and you'll get a little bit more context for what's going on here we have the temple of the ravenous moon and this just sounded really interesting so i copy and pasted some of the lines from the world god i'm just gonna read it the disturbing carvings on the ziggurat's walls give the edifice its name with graphic depictions of mass blood sacrifices atop the temple beneath a swollen moon with a horribly grinning fang-filled maw even the savage karu tribes give the temple a wide berth leading to no end of speculation of what might lie within. The Hurricane King has sent two expeditions to explore the ruined ziggurat and recover any secrets that might be left inside, but none have returned. This to me feels like kind of like the Western European perception of like ancient Aztec temples and stuff where they had blood sacrifices on there, mm-hmm. just kind of ported over into this fantasy setting. That being said, this sounds fascinating, and I'm curious what the deal is. <laughs> curious what the deal is? Mm-hmm. You may be uh, visiting this particular spot. Dude, that gets me fucking hyped, because this sounds really cool. <laughs> In a way you will not expect. Oh, okay. Let's see. I'm interested. Okay, well, perhaps at some point we will find out over the next few years of the campaign. But the very last place that I wanted to talk about, just a little anecdote here place called the Slytherin Coast. This is the mainland southern border, so this is on the actual continent of Garoon, but still part of the territory of the Shackles. It is infested with snakes and water naga. Just kind of seems like a difficult, deadly part of the jungle to go check out. Yeah. So people avoid it. There's a lot more like named islands, although they're a lot smaller. And again, they're not a part of the free captain's purview, mm-hmm. but there's a couple that are like named after Dahak. So oh, there's like Dahak's fangs, Dahak's claws, and Dahak's tail. I think are the three islands. Dahak being the the like dragon god, yeah, evil, evil dragon god, evil dragon god. And it's because they're so one of the I guess inhabitants that you didn't discuss is there are actually a lot of dragons in the shackles. Oh, that I didn't catch. So there's dragons, a lot of mostly like brine dragons, but there was this one like big worshiper of Dahak that kept just like destroying ships <laughs> and lived on these islands and so that's their namesake they named them after Dahak for the worshiper of Dahak that was just like obliterating ships that came near these islands 
Damn, that's cool. Again, that's like deep in the history of the Shackles. It's not present day. Can't wait for the inevitable pirate ship versus flying dragon fight that's coming, I'm yep. sure, at some point. But all right, that was the last of the Shackles that I had in my notes. Before we move on to some listener questions that I've pulled here, Griff, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up before we move it on? Uh, I think that's a pretty good overview. Sure. You know, there's certainly places that are tangential to the shackles that you're going to visit in this campaign. Mm -hmm. I'd say like Blood Cove. It's a big garooned port, but it's like close to the shackles and is it's like the even more unscrupulous version of Port Peril. So like they take a lot more slaves. They're like mostly evil. So that's like one of the big cities in the area that isn't really counted as part of the shackles. And then obviously we're kind of playing in a setting where Sargava is still Sargava just because of the timeline. Mm-hmm. So you have like all of Sargava just to the south, which is interesting because like in the future, trade kind of breaks down with Vidrian, which I think is the new name of Sargava. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, because of like the slave trade and everything else and them removing that from their government. Sargava being kind of like an analog for South Africa, this yeah. like weird ex-colony apartheid state that in the transition to Tui, there's a big revolution against the ex-colonist government. And now the folks that were repressed by that government, the the native peoples are kind of back in control over their own lands and now have to coexist with these people that used to rule them, but don't have like a, a, a mainland to go back to anymore. So it's pretty complex politically down there, I guess is a, is a gentle way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's about it on the area. Cool. All right. Well, we've got a couple listener questions to get to. So first and foremost, we have one from Caffeine Now, a.k.a. Calf. How do your characters feel about sea shanties and which player is the most likely to start singing them on mic? So I think this question is a good one and one that we might want to expand a little bit more We'll talk about this in a second, but Griff, how do you feel about people singing on podcasts? I feel like I oftentimes get a lot of like secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. I mean, like for the sake of a laugh, I think it's okay. Yeah. But like if you're not a good singer, you shouldn't be doing it for any other reason than the laugh. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I'll tell you what, it's not going to be me singing on mic. And yeah. Atlas is definitely not the type of character that would like sing a sea shanty anyway. You could see Calypso singing sea shanties for sure being a bard and going to be singing every damn day but I she's Haley's really singing, singing on yeah. Mike. Yeah. she's not really singing she's playing shanties on yeah the, that's uh, true on the concertina mm-hmm. so yeah probably no one singing shanties yeah likely we don't have a particularly musical cast right <laughs> if i could sing well and wasn't tone deaf i might try it but yeah i'd be i'd be too embarrassed honestly i, I don't know why i said that it's not happening <laughs> but yeah i'm sure grady has sung a sea shanty or two in his past yeah you probably know. while drunk i'm sure while drunk when is he not but yeah i don't know you got to imagine that maybe kaya's got a soft spot in her heart being uh besmara yeah that's probably how they do their hymns right yeah their shanties yep sure so cool all right, next one is from Art Criminal. Would you ever run Carrion Crown again? But he says, i.e., the players becoming the DM or Griff running it for a different crew. Uh, probably not. I feel like that wouldn't be a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really like the idea of running something again unless it was like a failed start. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it didn't make it all the way through Yeah. with one crew and then you run it with another just for the sake of having prepped part of it and trying to run it all the way through. I mean, we ran Carrying Crown into the ground. I don't think I'll ever run it better than I did. So mm-hmm. there's no point in kind of beating a dead horse there for me. By the same token, like I'd probably run Rise of the Rune Lords for people because I only got like three quarters of the way through book two with our group with Kaylee and Eric and John. Now, our buddy Tim ran Rise of the Rune Lords for Brooks, Emily, and myself, and that was his second time doing it to completion. He did it for an, an entire other group. So I'd kind of like to get his perspective on this. No, I'm, I'm not a GM. I have no plans of ever doing that again. So I wouldn't DM this campaign or GM this campaign. But I also just feel like there's so many cool, interesting adventure paths, and these just 
by virtue of what they are, take up so much time. If I really love a movie, I'll rewatch a movie because that's just like another hour and a half commitment. But I'll never rewatch Game of Thrones. Yeah, like if you're I'll gonna never sit here and spend a, three more yeah. years doing the same thing, it's like just pick up another one. That's exactly my point. But just so it can be a different experience for you. Mm-hmm. Just because it's so much time. I guess where I could see doing it is if like I was running another group through Carrying Crown concurrently with you guys, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, I want to play with these two groups. I don't really have time to prep like two full separate campaigns. Yeah, this is going to consolidate my prep, and I can do it. But like for me running stuff end to end and then doing it again is just like that's not why i like the game right i'm not here to like (laughs) run it for the sake of running it i don't know Mm -hmm. that's just my take on it i think maybe the answer could be different if we're talking like a module or something something that's a much shorter but yeah yeah like i'd I'd probably run like carnival of tears for another group because that's just that's one of the ones where it's like really fun to hear different groups like react to the twist mm-hmm. in it and it's not <laughs> it's like a two-day commitment yeah for sure all right well we have one final question here this comes from alex Razmir and cleric if you could play a game with four mainstream celebrities who would they be now he doesn't specify this but i'd like to put the asterisk on here let's just for the sake of the assignment assume that these celebrities are as proficient in these games as we are sure so let's like not suppose like oh, Judy Dench has probably never played Pathfinder before, so I don't want her on my team. <laughs> you got any ideas, Griff? I think it would be really fun to play with a kind of more tight knit group. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, you know, like most of the cast of Community or, oh. or like most of the cast of like Parks and Rec or something like of a show that I really like. Mm-hmm. I think it would be fun to play with people that know each other like celebrities that know each other and know how to work off each other. So that might be my pick. And I think especially like a primetime comedy or something like that. So like something like community would be a good pick just because a lot of those people have like an improv background. Like a lot of those actors have some sort of an improv background and also like they know each other. They know how to riff off of each other. I think they'd be really good players. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's a great answer. Definitely. A lot of those types of of actors came up from like improv comedy. So someone like that would be great to have at the table. I also think it would be fun to have like people that are big personalities like a Snoop Dogg or like a Jack Black. Yeah. Would be a ton of fun to play with. I just think like the group would allow like like they wouldn't overshadow each other. Right. I mean, I I worry having like a Jack Black on. And having some like celebrities that aren't maybe the same caliber as Jack Black, mm-hmm. like him just kind of overshadowing the group. Yeah. Because I think he's been on like a stream and kind of done that. Ah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or could do like the cast of Fast and the Furious. That'd be, That'd be an interesting one. I mean, you know. Well, Vin Diesel's Vin a big Diesel, D&D I mean, guy. I mean, we're assuming everyone's proficient, mm-hmm. but like even like the most recent one, like get Vin Diesel, like Jason Momoa. Yep, we can't do The Rock because we know Vin Diesel and The Rock. Yeah, have Vin beef. Diesel and The Rock have beef. There'd be some PvP. Uh huh. Jason Momoa I could get Michelle Rodriguez was in the D and D movie and also Fast and Furious, and she's fucking hilarious as a barbarian in the D and D movie. I gotta get her on the squad. Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Jason Momoa, and uh, come on, it's gotta be Tyrese Gibson. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the four. That's, that's, that's a good squad. That's a good squad. <laughs> So that's interesting. I like your approach here, Griff, where it's like that old NBA adage where it's like, I don't want the five best players. I want the best five best players. Best five players. So the, yeah, the, it's coming yeah. from that perspective. That's good. I just think that like actors have so like you've seen it all the time. Like actors have so much better chemistry when it's not their first time working together. Sure. And I just think it would it would be next level if you're not just like grabbing for like cherry picking for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see it going another way where it's like two and two and then you get like the new interaction. But like each of them has somebody that, you know, they can play off of. Yeah. I think like it'd be really fun to have like Tim Robinson and Sam. um, What's his last name? They're both on. I think you should leave Hmm. and then have Tim and Eric. 
Oh, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those four would make an outrageous, an outrageous game. I think we could go on and on here. I think my philosophy here, though, is always going to be get people that you know can play off of each other. Yeah, so I guess all that being said, my actual answer is Shaq, Robert Pattinson, Alexander Skarsgård, and a copy of myself. So, <laughs> Well, it's assumed you're in the game. <laughs> Yeah, another, another one. one. I'm another not, one. Yeah, I'm on another the show. One. I'm a mainstream celebrity. All right, so time for a little bit of wrap up and housekeeping before we get out of here. So keep tuning in Thursdays. Skull and Shackles is the weekly show now. We're back, baby. But besides that, we have a live zone of truth coming for the $10 and up patrons. That is going to be the weekend. December 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern, which is the weekend that this episode drops. So that's coming up. Keep an eye out for that. And then the next episode of STF and Friends Traveler Run featuring me is going to be live on their Twitch channel Monday, the 11th of December. So that's a week from when this episode drops. If you want to go check out the VOD of our character creation episode or listen to the audio on their Patreon feed, I had the fucking time of my life. Never played Traveler before. And boy, sitting around the table with Emily from STF. We had Sam from Pot Against the Machine and Tyler from min max we were just all yes anding each other we had great chemistry it was so much fucking fun i cannot wait to get into the actual story that adam is cooking up for us so yeah i'll be very curious to see like traveler past character creation all i ever hear is like the character creation is so great it's like is the system actually fun we'll find out right? <laughs> i haven't looked at the system at all just Uh-oh. Character creation. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah because that's i i hear the same and People always talk about how great character creation is. We'll see how it actually turns out. And none of us had actually played before. So we're making characters on the fly. And I mentioned this in the episode, but I don't know what's good. Like Pathfinder, I could tell you, like, <laughs> this class is better than that class. Or this skill is generally more valuable than that skill. When we're creating characters, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So yeah. we'll see how these characters we created play in the game. But I think that's pretty much it for this episode of the zone of truth. I think y'all succeeded your will saves. Is there anything that you wanted to bring up before we got out of here, Griff? I don't think so. All right. Well then what do you want to tell the people at home? Go listen to skull and shackles, you nerds. All right. Later. Later.